This is an ABC podcast. This one isn't dead. Wait, what? The fudge. Drop, wait, wait, wait. I keep pressing squat. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yes, finally. Does it bug you when people like me say things like, get your kids in nature or make sure your kids are playing with other kids? But all your kid wants to do is play video games. <laughs> I'm Maggie Dent. And in this Parental as Anything, we're going to talk about the pros, yes, I did say pros, and the cons of gaming. Do you remember that video game Pong? Well, maybe for you it was Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Frogger, or Super Mario. My boys love Super Mario. Those games seemed so high-tech at the time, but they're nothing like the games your kids play now. Yeah, my son Sam does have an interest in gaming. He just finds it as a bit of an escape. Uh, He enjoys it. He loves the challenge of trying to do whatever task the game requires. Yeah, he just loves the sort of the mental stimulation of it, I suppose. I enjoy the social aspect. When I game, I get the opportunity to talk to my friends and have fun. Sometimes we have an organised thing and we all play Smash. Or sometimes when we see someone's online, we call them on house party and see if they want to play. I play first-person shooters. I play a lot of other games, including Minecraft and Terraria. There's not really any limit to what you can do. Like in Minecraft and Terraria, you can like build massive castles and like you can be creative and that's what I really like. Yep, it's a huge part of their lives. And this might surprise you, but I'm not here to suggest that you put a stop to it. But here's the thing. Kids today can access games on everything from the telly to their phone and their school computer. And those games connect them to all of their friends and also to strangers across the world. And compared to the old Pong or Super Mario, the latest video games are very cleverly designed to keep players plugged in, especially your kids. So as a parent, how do you let them have fun gaming without it becoming a problem? I've got some really handy tips on how to keep the balance right and what to do if your kids are way too hooked on their games. But first, Let's look at why having a gamer kid is actually pretty awesome. Radio hosts a show all about gaming on the ABC called Good Games Spawn Point. So, Rad, tell me, what do you love about gaming? Oh, I love gaming for so many reasons. It's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. Everybody loves to play in some way. Play is a really, really important part of the human experience. And video games is a way that... Um, especially as you get older, you can play in a way that your peers are interested. Um, So, you know, if you imagine running around in a playground as a kid, as you get older, your friends don't necessarily really want to do that, but it's a way that you can stay socially connected. And I love it for younger people because it actually teaches you a variety of skills that can be a lot harder to acquire in other places. So it covers problem solving. It covers um, being a good loser. I think that's something that's really important for young people to learn. Um, Teamwork, strategy. It also gives you a lot of digital literacy, which we 
can't uh, underestimate how important that is in this day and age. One of my things that I always say about games is they actually taught me how to build a computer. And they taught me a lot of things about tech in general that I don't think I would have learned if I wasn't interested in games to begin with. How do you manage the endlessness of video games? Like, how do you stop? Uh, When I was growing up, I think I definitely did find it harder because, like I said, games are enjoyable and you want to keep going. And if they've got challenge to them, you want to keep having a run at that challenge, which can be really great. That can produce persistence, but it's also really important to remember that games need to exist, not just can exist or should exist, but need to exist as part of a balanced lifestyle. I don't think that there's anything that kids can or should do to the exclusion of everything else. You know, we always perceive sports and reading as being really positive things for development, and they absolutely are. But if your kid only played sports and did nothing else, that can break down the body more than it can build it. If your kid does nothing but read, they're not necessarily developing things like problem-solving skills or people skills. I don't think that there's any activity that a kid can do to the exclusion of everything else, but I do think that games as a part of everything else can be really healthy, and I think that's important to remember. The real key is learning how to encourage your kid to enjoy it, but then also stop. And have your kids see that it's something that's a treat, that's enjoyable, that they can learn from, but that it's not everything. Okay, so what suggestions do you have for a parent who wants to get their child offline and they're in the midst of an adventure and all their teammates are relying on them to stay there for the next, well, five hours? I think one of the most important things with managing your kids' gaming is setting up boundaries and expectations. It's really, really no different to a lot of other areas that you're parenting your kids. For example, saying these are the hours within which you are allowed to play your game and setting a clock in front of them so that they can see it at all times and trying to stick to that, that can be really positive. And saying to them, okay, I know you like to play this game where there are longer missions that you don't wanna drop out of. So on the weekend, you can have four or five hours straight of playing this game, but then that's it. And you don't get to play for two other days of the week or something like that. Coming up with a system that works for you both and managing that, that really helps set up for the kid their boundaries and they can understand My parent isn't cutting me off from doing this. They're being very generous. Five hours on a weekend to play a game unfettered is really great. And they're trying to work with me to allow me to enjoy this experience in the way that it needs to be enjoyed. But at the same time, I have to be respectful that I don't get to spend all my time doing only one thing. I have to develop well. I have to learn lots of different skills and have different interests. And I'm going to do that by accepting that I've got Good, good boundaries set up for me and I'm going to work within them and respect my parents in that way as well. Okay, so let's just have a little look at multiplayer platforms. Of course, you get involved and there's a lot of pressure. So how do you teach, you know, your kids to manage that sort of pressure? And can you explain the sort of pressure they feel in those games? Yeah, so multiplayer games can vary. There can be cooperative ones like Minecraft where you get together with friends and you basically work together to build something and go on adventures with each other. And these are really, really positive, great ways for kids to build social connections. They might be really good at doing something in the game and they can use that as a way of being cool and showing off a little bit and feeling 
confident and good about themselves. And then there's also competitive games where either by themselves or in a team, they're going to be competing against other players to usually be the last one standing. And those can be really great as well because they can teach people how to be strategic and most importantly, it can help teach you how to be a good loser. And I think that that is one of the biggest issues that young people face when playing these games, learning how to be a gracious loser and also learning how to be gracious to their teammates if they don't necessarily perform like the kid uh, would hope. I think that it's really important for parents to be involved. Don't necessarily let your kid play these games in their own locked off room. Obviously age is a factor as well, but especially for younger kids, being involved playing the game with them is really helpful and monitoring what they're saying to other people online. Because if you leave them to their own devices, you would be shocked at the things that kids will say because they kind of pick it up and think that it's acceptable. I've heard stories of uh, kids destroying other people's buildings and things like that in a game. And I actually have a friend whose two sons had a bit of a dispute within a game because somebody did something that the other didn't like. And so he reported his brother's account for cheating <laughs> and got it deleted because he wasn't happy. Okay, so tell us, how can a passion for gaming become a career? I know every every boy out there dreams of it, but is, is it a reality and, and is it possible? The gaming industry is enormous. It's bigger than the music and film industry combined. So it's very alluring for people to be like, I want to be a professional gamer and just play games all day for my job. That's essentially like being an Olympic athlete. I've interviewed the absolute top tier players of certain games in the world. These are guys who have won 30 million US dollar Whoa. competitions. Yeah, it's huge money. And I've said to them, what advice would you give to kids who want to be a pro gamer like you? Most of them say, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, because it's so difficult. It's not something that anyone can do. And it's not something that you should pursue if you don't have that innate skill. But having said that, there's a lot of other areas in games that you can work. If you're a skilled writer, you could maybe work as a games journalist. If you're very skilled at art, you could work as an artist for games. You could also work doing the production side as a producer if you're really great with people and good at organizing things. So I think the most important is to look at your personal skills and what you can develop there and work towards working in the games industry. But remember to follow opportunities that present themselves to you no matter where they are. Wow, I have been so informed. Thank you very, very much, Red. I'm going to go and check out some of those weirdo games you're talking about. <laughs> when he was younger, I would set time limits and make him take a break. These days, now that he's a bit older, he's pretty good at self-managing his time, although weekends when he's not doing schoolwork he would he would choose to game most of the time if he could get away with it Sam's pretty good at uh, realizing that he does have a limited amount of time on the screen now once we say okay you've got 10 more minutes he'll just finish the game or whatever he's doing as quickly as he can if they sound angry I'll get off but you know if there's something he can't pause it might take like five minutes more I'll keep doing it. There's definitely negatives of video games. Often, if I've been playing for a long time, I do feel bad with myself because I've, you know, I've 
feel like I've just wasted some time. It kind of makes me a bit sassy. Like if I'm playing for a long time. Because I don't really blink. And I, yeah, I feel a bit blah, 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 blah. So there it is. Gaming is great in moderation, like Rad said. No activity is healthy if that's all you ever do. And when video games are made to be endless and addictive, not a lot of kids have the self-discipline to manage that. So how can you help them develop that discipline? And what can you do if their gaming is causing problems in the home? Brad Marshall is the unplugged psychologist. He's the director of the Internet Addiction Clinic at Kidspace. So, Brad, let's start with the big question that most parents have these days is, how much gaming is too much? Uh, Look, what I would say is that too much gaming is when it's interfering in life and whether that be in their behaviour or their social life, academics, um, sleep, any of these sorts of areas. I guess if those areas start to ping for parents, then perhaps it's a little bit too much. And if it gets in the road of chores, do you include that as well, Brad? I think kids will use any reason, Maggie, to get in the way of chores, not just gaming. So uh, maybe we can leave chores out of it. (laughs) Okay. So as children are introduced to video games, what are your tips for parents who want to set limits right from the very beginning? I think that you've kind of answered that question in your question, Maggie. You should set the limits from the beginning. Um, So often we see parents, you know, they've left it to the age of 13, 15, 16, and then it's just kind of a bit too late. So starting from a very young age, usually I say around start of primary school, age five to eight, is sort of the best time to start setting those limits for parents. I suppose it's different for every child because it depends on, on what else they're doing. So if you have one child that's spending two hours a day gaming, but that child is also getting their homework done, going to sport, going out on the weekends. That's very different to a child who's, who's having two hours on gaming per day, but then just spends the rest of the time on the TV and sitting in a dark room. Really, when I start to get worried is when we start to creep up to that three or four or five hour mark per day, you can't fit homework in, you can't get to sleep on time. So that's usually a rough idea for me. So if we get to the problematic gaming, what are the signs a parent should look out for and when should they start to worry? I I mean, there are a million and one, but let's go through some of the really big ones. The first one that I always mention is sleep. So if your child is struggling to get to sleep on time, uh, dragging their feet because of gaming or waking up in the middle of the night to go gaming, which kids, you know, do quite often do, or waking up early. You know, if kids are setting an alarm for 5 or 6 a.m. so they can get a bit of gaming in before school, that would be a pretty a pretty big warning sign. The other big warning sign would be sort of drops off in, in their education, so getting homework in on time, getting assessments done. Also, we look at their behaviour. So if they're getting more sort of stroppy when they're asking them to get off, punching walls, yelling, swearing, um, that's all a pretty good sign as well. So you've got some, you know, the start of some there. And I think you're aware, Maggie, that I'm pretty big on this idea of sort of the four main areas of development. Um, So that is social development, emotional development, educational development and behavioural development. And so for parents out there, any of those main areas that start to, you know, wax and wane a bit, you might have a scenario where gaming's getting in the way. And we know that in adolescence, all emotions are far more intense. Autonomy and freedom are part of the aspects of a developing adolescent, aren't they? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's very normal for a teenager to push the boundaries with that stuff. And I do sort of tip my hat sometimes to teenagers with how creative they get um, in breaking the rules, you know. It's frustrating for parents, I get it, but we also need to remember that is a normal part of teenage development. Should parents know and understand every game that they're playing? I mean, in an ideal world, parents would understand games that their kids are playing, but it's not always possible. There are many that, you know, believe that we should be pushing more of an idea of quality of content over quantity. So that is what your kids are actually doing online rather than the amount of hours. The reason I'm one of these guys that's more on the hours is because I find in a practical world, and I'm a very practical guy, Maggie, I'm, I'm in a clinic, I see families every single day. In a practical world, it's very difficult for parents to check on what their kids are actually doing. They can't stand over their shoulder and kids are so quick at flicking screens. So I lean more towards that idea of, you know, the whole amount of time that kids are online. You know, there are predators out there that use the sites that our kids are on. So any advice there for parents around the gaming side of this? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the cyber safety side of this, what I very much advocate um, is that idea of parents trying to have an open dialogue with their kids. Having this idea that you're just going to be able to magically, you know, ban certain sites or ban certain things through, you know, uh, parental controls is very fanciful. Kids can get around that stuff very easily. So, you know, it's no different to 20 or 30 years ago, right? You have to keep an open dialogue with your kids so that if they do get in trouble, they will come to you and they know they're not going to be in trouble for that. Tell me what is the difference between a problematic amount, which you've already explored, and then the addiction to gaming? Well, let me start with addiction. Typically, what we're talking about there in the field is sort of the, the 1% to 3% of kids. So that's a very small range. And what you're talking about when you talk about addiction is this idea of sort of them struggling with their tolerance and having withdrawal effects when they get off and it affecting relationships, a classic addiction um, definition. When you take that versus problematic use, usually we're talking about most studies say between 10 and 20% of kids will have something like a problematic use. I'm finding that he is spending hours, like I'm talking like 10 hours a day easily if I'd let him, on the PS4. It's all he's talking about. If he's not on that, he's on YouTube watching other people play their PS4s. And when I manage to get him off it through blocking the internet and stuff like that, I'm getting extreme pushback, which is extremely hostile and disrespectful and rude so it's actually pretty intimidating you know for my own sanity I'm finding that I'm just letting him go with it and so I feel like I'm just making the situation worse by letting him do it even more he could be going outside and doing all sorts of things because we live on a farm he isn't even eating unless I give him food and water I don't really know what to do. Brett, we're now at the point that I think most parents have been waiting for. They've been waiting for you to get to this point that says, now what do we do to address problematic gaming once we've realised it's crossed that line? Help. Largely what I break it down to is encouraging parents not to get into this battle of trying to take devices away. Now, 
let me be very clear because that will be um, controversial for some for some parents who've been told take the devices away. All I'm saying is that if you have a child that freely gives up the device, then awesome, take it from them, okay? But there probably will be a point in the teenage years where they will not do that. And I don't want you to start World War III in your house over that. So I encourage parents on a plan that is more around controlling the Wi-Fi um, because at the end of the day, without the Wi-Fi, all of this stuff is useless, If you have a mobile phone without Wi-Fi, you're back in the dark ages. If you have a laptop or whatever it may be. So my plan really sticks to the idea of controlling the Wi-Fi and controlling mobile data in order for you to be able to then moderate their use. So that might be cutting it off at a certain time for sleep or encouraging them to do homework first or exercise. And we drill down from there. But the crux of it is control the Wi-Fi. All right. So without starting World War Three, how do we even have that conversation that says, I think your usage has got to problematic? Because they're not going to agree with us. Like, you know, the boy that wants to eat all the ice cream. He doesn't think it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, um, so the first point would be don't use the term problematic <laughs> or addiction. <laughs> you know, the amount of times that I've seen teenagers come into my office and their parents say, oh, here, you know, because he's addicted to X, Y and Z. Um, and he will flat out refuse. But the minute the parents leave my office and I say to him, oh, what's going on? You know, is this a problem? Oh, yeah, probably is. How do parents approach this topic, though? I would encourage them to try to do it in a very calm manner, sit down and just talk about some of the concerns around what's not getting done. And so that might be, hey, look, Johnny, your teacher called, said that English homework wasn't handed in. What's going on? Uh, last night, I noticed that you were very tired this morning. You didn't go to bed till one o'clock. What's going on? How are we going to fix that stuff? Give them an opportunity to fix it first and then have a period of time that you're going to come back and look at it. So it might be usually one or two weeks. Okay, you're telling me you can moderate your own use. I'm going to give you two weeks to do that. We'll come back and check it out then. You know, inevitably, unfortunately, teenagers are not going to be able to do that. Um, But you go back then and say, all right, well, look, do you need some help here? Maybe we should turn the internet off at 10 o'clock or maybe we should only turn it on after you've done homework. So try to do it in a very casual way there. And I take parents through how to do a casual plan that doesn't look like some kind of legal agreement that they are going to rip up. Parents, I can't stress this enough. If you pull out some three-page document, they are going to run for the hills, okay? It's got to be done in a very casual manner. And so it's a negotiated kind of agreement process, which, of course, is exactly what works with adolescents on all levels, is the fact that we're respecting that you are developing your autonomy and we want you to make your own decisions. However, at the moment, some of those are a little bit poor choices. So together we will work towards a better solution, yeah? Absolutely. And so that negotiation, you know, I, I talk about all the time, we have to make teenagers feel like they've won. Okay, so whatever you need to do here to make your teenager feel like he or she got one over you, you know, work with that. If they feel like they've won, they're more than likely going to follow that plan. Are really significant bribes or rewards at the end, does any of that work nowadays? This is another slightly controversial topic these days, isn't it, about whether you should use the internet or gaming as a reward um, or not. And there are many people in my field that believe that that's not a good sort of scenario to set up. 
I certainly am pretty pragmatic about this. I ask parents, if you're not comfortable with using the internet as a reward, show me another reward that's going to work and we'll use that. But the problem is typically parents can't find one. Gone are the days where pocket money works or, or anything else. And what are you going to do? Stop them from going to sport? I mean, no, you <laughs> want them to go to sport. So I guess what it comes down to is whether we like it or loathe it, the internet and gaming is the best reward that we have. And so the way that I encourage parents to think about it is rather than you know talking about using it as a reward, just put some boundaries around it so that you can get all the other stuff done that you want them to do to become a really healthy young person. Does it just gradually get a little bit better as their brain finishes off a bit better or not, Brad? <laughs> you know, certainly, as you know, Maggie, you know, teenagers' brains develop at different rates. And so we can't say that when you hit 18, they'll be fine. When you hit 23, they'll be fine. We don't really know. It's going to be different for every child or every teenager. Um, what I can say for hope for parents uh, is that you don't need to fix everything. So everything that I've just named today, quite often parents get overwhelmed and go, oh my gosh, how am I going to fix all of this stuff? What I encourage is if you can just pick one or two areas, say sleep and going to school, right? If you pick those two things, quite often they'll have a domino effect in a positive way on a teenager. So parents don't feel like you have to do it all. Just pick one or two things and do them really damn well. Brad Marshall, thank you for everything you're doing for those parents out there and those teens who are who are struggling a bit with this whole gaming game. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. Pleasure. Whether your family's boundaries around gaming are firm or relaxed, the key is to keep reminding your kids what the boundaries are and why you've set them, so that they can understand you're not trying to punish them, you just want them to be healthy. You want them to develop good gaming habits so they can enjoy it for years to come. If you don't know what the limit should be, I think a really good common sense rule is that gaming, like all other social activities, comes after homework and after the chores. Yeah, absolutely after. Then you might find it easier to set a limit on the number of games or levels rather than just the time. Trust me, if their time's up before they finish the stage, you will have a fight on your hands. Please let them finish. And then please teach your kids about respect and that their avatar needs to be as respectful as they are in real life. And keep chatting to them about the content and the troubling themes that might turn up in either the games or their banter with other players. And encourage your kids to watch out for their friends online. We need them to be guardians for each other and to speak up when bad stuff happens. Okay, so are we going to verse each other? Yes. Yep. Do you want to explain to me how to play the game? So that's quick pass left, quick pass right. Okay, cool. Chick kick, pump kick. Every child whose spark is nurtured can shine. So if gaming makes them spark, nurture it. Oh, so you can use either this or this to move the player. Really be interested in the games they play, the strategies they use, the things that make them happy about playing that game. Show some sparkle on your face if this is what makes your child sparkle. You need to run. Did I just throw it? Oh, my God, I just threw the ball. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have a gamer at home and you want to learn a bit more about that world, have a listen to Rad's podcast, Good Game, 
how games play us. It explores what makes video games so compelling and in each episode, Rad chats to other people who've turned their love for gaming into a career. I'm going to get really nerdy for a sec. Yes. But I guess I've had like the opposite happen where I've had an experience in a game which then I've later experienced in real life. Like I've then related it back to the digital experience. I'm not going to give an example. I think it's just a little bit... A bit too embarrassing. But, uh, oh, you said the magic word. I feel okay. like you brought it up. You can listen to Good Game, How Games Play Us, for free on the ABC Listen app or podcast apps like Apple and Google. Next time on Parental As Anything, we're going to be exploring another real biggie. We're dealing with death. Boyd tried to put toys in the coffin and Josie read him a book and we sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And he's there and we're there and he's dead and we're not and far out. It was a moment that is irreplaceable. Whether it's the death of a family pet, finding out someone we love is dying or explaining an unexpected and sudden death to our kids, it's a huge challenge. That's next. I'm parental as anything with me, Maggie Dent. 